Art Woods from Memon, North Carolina, and you are listening to The Candid Frank. When I think about what made Polaroid so magical, I don't believe it was just the speed by which I saw an image. We have much quicker results with a digital camera, and I can't say that I experienced the same feelings of anticipation, glee, and surprise as when I used my family's SX-70 camera. William Baptiste's film, Instant Dreams, explores the emotions and the spirit that made the experience of using Polaroid film such a unique and creative one. He does so by challenging our expectations of a traditional documentary and infuses his film with visual flourishes more often associated with fictional films and television. He wants us to think of Polaroid not just as a product, but to remember and value it for the experience it provided. Maybe you rem- remember like uh, the days of writing to your pen pals, you know, or to a loved one or a vacation love. Just writing, you have the experience of writing the letter, the anticipation of getting a letter. Has he read it? Has he read it? What is he going to say? And then reading the text, waiting by the mailbox or, or whatever. So there's a whole set of experiences that goes into making a Polaroid photo. The reason why Polaroid and films of its type continue to fascinate both young and old has nothing to do with how flawless the images are. It's not that Polaroids are perfect in any technical way. To the contrary, it's their perfect imperfection that help make those images so unique and special. We all experience life. We all know the imperfections of our own lives. You can find that in those images. To me, the Polaroids are almost like mirrors, right? You look at them, maybe you see your own imperfections, but you also see your own dreams. You know, you see a fuzzy image of whatever photo you took, and you can see the most like dreamlike uh, fancy come to life. Or maybe you took a photo of, of this woman on a beach, and she looks more beautiful than uh, than you would have uh, made it with a digital camera. I don't know. There's a lot of place with your mind. This is an extension of ourselves. <laughs> we'll talk to Willem about what inspired him to make this film and some of the wonderful human experiences he witnessed while making it. This is Ibadi and X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking with you, so thank you for making time with me and uh, staying up late. Well, thank you for having me. Let's get get started with talking to you about your first experience with a Polaroid. I remember mine, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with I think it was an XX seventy, which I just loved loved to use. But w- when did you first experience making a photograph with that kind of camera? Well, I, I didn't make a photo with a SX seventy because I didn't have the money then. Mm-hmm. But my real experience, my first experience with a Polaroid would be, I was, I think, a year, uh, was maybe 14 years old. And I found a camera at, a, at this flea market. And uh, I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. I know it knew, I know it was a camera, but I, you know, how do you turn it on? Where are the batteries, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to a camera shop and uh, they told me, yeah, you can't buy film for this anymore. But he had film in the back. And he said, it's very old. And I tried it. And I started making photos with it. And it was like black and white and, and the colors were very off. But I really remember like that magical feeling where you put the cassette in, in the camera and the whole camera comes alive. So that's a memory that's still with me. And then taking the pictures, the pictures were horrible. They were out of focus. But still, there were two things. One, I kept on making photos. I had like six packs. It was so addictive. And secondly, I felt very proud of the photos I took. I think it was maybe the first time I felt like an artist. Oh, yeah. And it was like long before I went to art school and all that stuff. But it had, for me, it was a real, um, I wouldn't say I was proud, but it was like an empowering feeling. Like I made this. 
Yeah, I mean, you know? I, yeah, I, I, I completely get it. That's one of the uh, uh, experiences I had, and I think a lot of people had with the Polaroid. It was unlike the cameras of the day, where you would load a film into the camera and then you drop it off at the processor, and there would be this, you know, delay between actually taking the picture and, and seeing it. This is way before the age of digital. Yeah, and Polaroid gave you that experience, that immediate experience of seeing the photograph, and also seeing it develop in something that was it wasn't possible unless you had like your own photo lab you know your own yeah, dark yeah, room yeah. and so i think part of that the, of actually experiencing that in your hand mm-hmm. uh, is one of the one of the appeals of the camera beyond simply being sort of an an inst- instant way of getting a getting a print from it yeah and, and to be honest, it's very addictive also, because I remember doing research for this film. So I bought like 10 packs of, of Polaroid film, the, the new one by, by Polaroid Originals. Yeah. This was for research. And uh, I told my wife uh, what it cost. So it's like $20 a pack, 10 packs is $250. And my wife said, you're crazy. <laughs> we have to buy groceries, you know. <laughs> you could have spent $250 on this. And then I uh, gave her the camera and she took a couple of pictures. The next thing she said, uh, can we buy some more? That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very different from shooting digital. Even though digital, you get to see it. There's nothing tangible behind the, behind the camera itself. True. So in your experience and with the people that you talked to for the film, was that a big part of the uh, allure? Uh, yeah, I would say, well people have different attachment to the photograph. So for, I have an artist in the movie and for her, for her, it's like, uh, she films her dreams, her visions, her photos is the closest things that come to her subconscious creative mind, I would say. And with the scientist it's a totally different story for him. It's like the mystery of the chemicals. It was actually pretty funny because when I was researching it, I went to a, to all the scientists and said, I want to know why, why is there so much appeal for this old kind of photography? And I went into this board room meeting kind of uh, set up and there were like, I would say 10 scientists and three CEO kind of business type people. And they were all sitting with their arms uh, crossed. And, and, and I said, yeah, I want to ask you guys some questions. Uh, and, and they said, no, no, no. We're making this stuff, but we want to ask you some questions because we're not that far along in the process and people are still buying it. So we don't know how to make it. What do people want? Do people want like a perfect image or not? Because we can try to make it, but how do you make like the imperfect, perfect image, right? So for him, for them, it was like they were like looking at, at it as scientists but it's very hard to quantify, like, what is a Polaroid photo? What are the colors? Then, lastly, I would say for Christopher, who is like a writer, who is in the movie, for him, for him, it's like the social aspect that's very attractive to him, like socializing. And that's one of the things that Edwin Land, the creator of the Polaroid, often talked about, this idea that photography in the form of this particular camera was a way of sort of engaging people and getting them to share photographs. And he was sort of prescient in, in, in terms of what's sort of happening now. But to a certain degree, the, the Polaroid provides uh, a more personal way of sharing a photograph uh, in a more intimate way, just because it's the, it's the only photograph. And if you give it to someone, they have the only copy, whereas today you put it on Instagram and the whole world has access to to those images. And so in some ways, it's not as a unique experience as, as the Polaroid was. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be part of the spirit of of you were sort of conveying in, in your film is that the the uniqueness of the camera is beyond the sort of the, the chemical and the chemicals that made up the, the film and the, yeah. the dynamics of the camera. It was uh, the socialization that the, the camera provided. It seems to be really at the heart of what you're trying to express in the film. Yes. Well, you know, I compare it with, you know, people say uh, it's outdated uh, or it's, it's not as sharp. But would you say that like 
going on vacation, going into the forest with your GPS and watching your phone, it's the same experience as getting lost. Mm-hmm. You know, the feeling of getting lost. Or let's say, maybe you rem- remember like uh, the days of writing to your pen pals, you know, or to a loved one or a vacation love. Just writing, you have the experience of writing the letter, the anticipation of getting a letter. Has she read it? Has he read it? What is he going to say? Yeah. And then reading the, le- the text waiting by the mailbox or, or whatever. So there's a whole set of experiences that goes into making a Polaroid photo. The social aspect is one of it. The, the, the magical process is another. The experience of looking at a photo, re- remembering the scene, because you had a lot of time thinking about all those things. Yeah, so there, a lot goes into making a Polaroid photo, I would say. Yeah. One of the concepts that's, that's brought up is this idea of uh, Japanese concept of wabi-sabi. Yeah. Where, where, where the beauty comes from the very imperfection, mm-hmm. not from it being perfect and ideal. And yes. it, gave, it made me realize that to an uh, extent that decline and the disappearance of Polaroid as, as a business, as a film, sort of gave mm-hmm. the Polaroid camera a second life in that people were using expired film, which results in unpredictable outcomes, unpredictable results with respect to the imagery, where when it was, you know, a product, it was always about trying to get good color, you know, yeah. good exposure. You know, they still was trying to a, a, a achieve a certain degree of perfection. But mm-hmm. with the, you know, with the demise of Polaroid, all of a sudden the camera and the film were being used and experienced in completely different ways. And I think that that very imperfection is has been seen as a wonderful creative outlet that you can't get from a digital camera where every pixel is, you know, for the most part, ac- accurately capturing what's in front, yeah. of the, front of the camera, and that's something that I think that you're that not only uh, the people that you interviewed, but I think the the whole sense of the film was about there's something being lost in this pursuit of trying to make a perfect camera. Was that an idea that was pretty clear to you from the very beginning, or did you discover that as a result of the process of making the film? Uh, no, that was really clear to me because. Uh, I read this article. Well, there, there, there are a couple examples I can give you what triggered me. One was an article I read, uh, a scientific article. And it was, uh, I think the, the headline of that article was, we see with our emotions and not with our eyes. Because it turns out that every image you see, 80% of it is formed in your brain. And we have imperfect brains. We like to connect the dots. Right. So that's one part of it. Another part is a simple experience I had. It's like, maybe you rem- remember those uh, Instagram filters, you know, they, they were very popular. Yes. Uh, I had them too. So one day, and maybe you know this feeling, you go to a party and uh, you make some photos on your iPhone, right? To put on Facebook or Instagram, uh, because we all want to, uh, you know, convey uh, our successful lives and uh and then you look at your photos on your iPhone and you look, shit, can I say shit? I don't know. Yeah, it's okay. But, okay. So, well, this isn't the party I went to. Not in my mind. In my mind, it was far more exciting. I cannot show this to my friends. <laughs> so what you do is then you take the perfect image, you, you throw a filter on it, which, which degrades the image. And then we have a feeling with this degraded image, ah, this feels more like the reality I want to experience or I I experienced. So it's like, for some reason, we experience real things more via ways of of distorted reality, of imperfect reality. You know, that's how we're hardwired, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so that that, that for me, that was really important to get get into the film. Not by explaining it, but maybe like taking you on a trip. And having you experience that same feeling by watching the movie, that was, uh, that was my intent, at least. Yeah, because at first I went in expecting it to be a more straightforward documentary where it's about yeah. the history of Polaroid and William Land and the Impossible <laughs> Project. And then it takes on, uh, it includes elements of, you know, fictional uh, fictional filmmaking. And it, at times it strikes me uh, like a tone poem. 
Uh, sure. So it's it's just it and it's very uh, it's really sort of an interesting uh, sort of experience once you sort of accept the fact that this is not going to be what you expect in terms of a normal docu- documentary. Um, yeah. So when you came up with the idea of of the film, um, was that your intent from the very beginning, or was this part of an evolution? Well, you bring up some very interesting stuff uh, because, well, it was my intent for sure. Because I have a reasoning for it. If you want facts and information, you can just look it up on Wikipedia. So I didn't feel obliged to give more information that's in than it's in than in the film. Uh, secondly, the movie is really about the essence of why Polaroids resonate, and the only way to convey that, in my mind, is by having you experience that. So that's very important. To be honest, I didn't really expect that a uh, part of the audience would feel like expecting something else. And maybe I would have said, if I look at, for instance, the reviews of the movie, which are like, I would say, like two thirds is positive, but it's also, also always one third of like reviewers or people who watch the movie will get a little bit angry at me <laughs> because they say, yes, but you promised me a movie about Polaroids, a documentary about Polaroids. And then I say, well, well first of all, I didn't promise that at all. It's, it's not really, li- it's, well, the information is there, there are facts, but I will say it like this. Would people say when watching Jaws, you know, the movie Jaws, and say, well, you know, I felt, thought, you know, Jaws was a pretty good movie, but I... I really would have liked more information about marine biology and how sharks function. So I, I looked at it a bit like that way, you know. Polaroid, I explain, explain a lot about the history, about the artists, about how it all works. But to make it like a standard journalistic documentary, to me, it was boring. There are books, there are a lot of books written about Edwin Land, but nothing about the essence of Dr. Land. There's a lot of lot of stuff about fans and, and digital culture, but nothing about the essence of it. So for me, it was getting to the core of it by being poetic, if that makes any sense. Well, that make, make, makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I think that that's where the uh, sort of the heart of the film is, is for me, is the whole idea of just the experience of it. True. And w- once I gave myself permission to experience it in that way rather than the other way. It was really sort of, it was, I really felt, I was really engaged with what I was experiencing, what, was I, what I was seeing on the screen. So I really enjoyed that, that, that part of it. Oh, that's excellent. And you know what it was? It, it, it allowed me to, to interpret the film in my own way, which I don't think a lot of documentaries often do because they want to be in complete control of the narrative and the eventual outcome. So it's really kind of interesting to see you sort of take that sort of tangent where you let the viewer sort of experience it, as well as learning information about Edwin Land, Polaroid, and, and its use, use today. Well, well, first of all, thank you for, for uh, experiencing the movie like that. That makes me very happy. <laughs> but I, I will say, say this. I, for this movie, I've had like, um, I get a lot of fan mail. And there were a couple of angry emails I got from people who, who were expecting like a journalistic, dry, typical document, run a gun style documentary. Out of the three people who sent me an angry email, which isn't a lot, two of them emailed me back like uh, a half year later because the movie premiered in 2017 in, in the Netherlands, saying I watched it again because it was on VOD in the Netherlands. And then I watched it with my family and now I understand. So sometimes things take a little bit time, but in all honesty, it, it, it isn't like an exper- experimental movie or something. I would say it's like a it's more like a midnight movie about Polaroids. So it's uh, <laughs> because now it's because now it sounds very like like heavy and arty, and I don't think it is very heavy. I think it's it, it's also very lighthearted at so, some moments, and it isn't full of very complicated science in that sense. So it's. Uh, it's going to be fun, too. Yeah, you profile several different people. One uh, was uh, Stephen Herschel, who's part of the Impossible Project, which at the time of the film, they were trying to uh, rediscover the formula for Polaroid because the inventor, Edward Land, kept it secret. So when he died, yeah. the, the formula was 
was gone. So there was no one there to be able to reproduce it. And then you have uh, uh, Stephanie Schneider, who is a, a fine artist who has been using Polaroid, a variety of different Polaroid films to create fine art. And you have the author of uh, a biography on, on Polaroid. And they all sort of approach the use and the history of, of Polaroid in very different ways. In terms of who you chose to include in the film and how you wanted to include their experiences in the film. Can you give us sort of an idea? Because I've talked talked to documentary filmmakers before, Mm -hmm. and what's often been the case is they have an intent going in, but as a result of making the film, it takes on a life of its own, and they sort Mm -hmm. of discover the structure, the spine of it as a result. And I'm wondering how your filming and interviewing these people helped the the film to take shape in in the way that it did. Yeah. Well, I have to say that the kind of movies I make are pretty uh, structured from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I'm not uh, saying that like the structure of how I tell the story, but I had a very clear idea about uh, having characters in a movie that represented all the human emotions that go into making the photos. So there's the artist side, there's the science side, there's the history side, because that is a Polaroid. All those things are like, like uh, jumbled together. Um, so I really wanted to like uh, present all these sides. So I didn't, in the research, I searched for a lot of like, let's say artists, mm-hmm. I maybe searched for like hundred artists and then I maybe visited three or four. And in the end I ended up with Stephanie because for me, she was like the perfect embodiment of like the dreamlike, she was living, she's living in this dreamlike Polaroid world in the desert. And so her life looks like a Polaroid. And you know, with Stephen, you know, he made big sacrifices, you know, leaving his, 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 um, well, he didn't leave his wife behind, but you know, he was, he was on pension. He didn't have to work. He has a very nice wife, family in, in Boston, but he travels to, to Dusseldorf, Germany to work on this formula and he eats alone. So this is a very, very big sacrifice to make. You have to have, a, I would say, it, it, you, would, you can compare it if, if it's like a, an assignment of God or something, you know, like they're on a mission, something that's bigger than life. That was actually one of my favorite parts of the, of, of the film, getting to see what he was willing to uh, sacrifice and give up in pursuit of making this film because you show them at various times, you know, struggling with trying to get a formula right and getting the image to look fairly decent. And, you know, the, the environment that they're in is fairly sparse to start with. You know, yeah. it's kind of like a lab. Uh, it's all <laughs> intents and purposes. And then you see him. It's like 1984. <laughs> yeah. And then you see him at the, at, you know, at the restaurant at the hotel and talking to his wife. And it was just like, it just, it gave, it gave me a really sense a, a real personal sense of the extent that people go through in order to achieve something that's important to them. And I think in a more straightforward documentary, you probably would have spent a lot of time in the lab with the guys, you know, going through the various formulas and that would have been the, the spine of it. But I like the fact that I saw um, with both Stephanie and um, would, I forget the name of the author, uh, who wrote the book on Polaroid? Uh, Christopher, Christopher. 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 Uh, that personal sense, his relationship with his son, for example. Yeah. And how for each of them, there was a, a connection to the process and to the camera that went beyond just making a nice picture. You could see in their lives, in all three of these people's lives, how integral the, the Polaroid, the creation of the images was. And I think that that's something that's uh, often missing from digital, despite the fact that it's immediate. I think that's sure. that, and I think that's, you know, again, we're kind of repeating my, myself a little bit, but I think that's really at the heart of what has always made Polaroid an instant film sort of a magical part of, of, of a person's life. But I imagine that, that, how you know the struggle for you though is how much of that do you keep in the film and how much do you have to sort of leave out so tell me about the challenge in terms of figuring out the sort of the balance of you know the the more straightforward mm. elements of the, of yeah. the documentary and the sort of more esoteric uh, approaches that you took for the film yeah well yeah you're right it was very difficult because uh, you have four people with uh, complete lives and then you have a very technical and story about the recreation 
after Polaroid. Uh, so I and I have 90 minutes to tell my story. So uh, it was hard. But for me, it was like, okay, so I have to establish their relationship, their formal relationship with Polaroid. And as I already said, it's like they have to represent a certain side or aspect of the Polaroid making. And then uh, each person also has a function, a function I would say, like Christopher, the, the, the writer, because he's a writer, he's very useful to tell the history part. And Stephanie, the artist, besides her own personal attachments, she's very good at... at not only showing the artistic side, but explaining how the wabi-sabi, you know, the, the, um, an, a perf- an image is only perfect when it's imperfect mm-hmm. to show that. Because he's also imperfect himself. She had an accident with this figured uh, part of her leg. And then I would say in the case of Stephen, you know, for me, it, it was important not to show all stages of, of the formula or how it works. Only what the essence is. Mm-hmm. But what was important for me was like focus on uh, the sacrifice, but also taking in, for example, religion. Or I found out that he, he wrote poems, very short haiku mm-hmm. that I actually didn't know. I found out during filming. Okay. And there were like a relationship between writing ha- haikus and, and making Polaroids, which I found totally fascinating. And it turned out he was a religious man as well, which plays part in like... This, digi- this chemical being he created, which he, say, he says, uh, he says it's, it's the most complex organic man-made thing ever made, mm-hmm. uh, almost like a living creature. So he plays God in a way. And I really like to play with those symbolisms. Yeah, but what I think what I left out, the hardest thing was, <clears throat> I would say there were more connections. Like Stephanie, Stephanie the, one of the artists that started... Polaroid again, who bought up the old factory in, in Holland. So in 2008, Polaroid went bankrupt, everything was sold, a lot of factories were demolished. And one of the artists, or a group of artists, bought the last remaining Polaroid factory in Holland, and, and they tried to make Polaroid film again. And one of those artists uh, was very much influenced by Stephen Schneider. But I just couldn't get, I just couldn't get that in, in, in the movie, because it was too... Just, just too much. And so and there were more, more of those kind of things uh, I had to choose between. But for me, it was like almost on a subconscious level, you know, because I knew, let's for example, take Christopher the writer. I knew I really wanted to have that feeling of the old Polaroid commercials, you know, with all the happy families, yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but there was also always something about those perfect families in the commercials that was like, you know, it's like they were too happy, you know. <laughs> I, always, I, was, I was always very suspicious of it, you know. And, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg made his, made his career about, you know, families with TV dinners and the imperfect families and all this stuff. And I saw that with him, too, because he's a busy guy. He has two jobs, a typical New Yorker. Uh, so he has to juggle it all and have a family. And then he has this passion and he writes books. And so when I heard he takes a picture of his son every day, you know, I thought, okay, I saw like this connection with him, with the, with the, with the, with the, with the commercials, with just with family life, you know, we all experience life. We all know the imperfections of our own lives. You can find that in those images. To me, the Polaroids are almost like mirrors, right? Yeah. You look at them and you see your own, maybe you see your own imperfections, but you also see your own dreams. You know, you see a fuzzy image of whatever photo you took. And you can see the most like dreamlike uh, fancy come to life, or or maybe you took a photo of, of this woman on a beach and she looks more beautiful than uh, they would have uh, made it with a digital camera. I don't know. There's a lot of place with your mind. This is an extension of ourselves. <laughs> be the voice that introduces the episode like Eric Woods did this week, just send us an audio file recorded on your phone, tablet, or computer saying something like, this is Owen Meany from Gravesend, New Hampshire, and this is The Candid Frame. Say it at least a couple of times so we have a take to choose from and include three to four seconds of silence with your voice to help us clean up the audio. Also, make sure to include a link to your website, blog, or Instagram feed when you send it to info at thecandidframe.com. 
Help the Candid Frame to continue bringing you great conversations with some of the world's best photographers. You can do this by supporting our Patreon effort by committing as little as $5 or more a month. When you do this, you not only help us to meet the cost of production, but provide us the time and resources we need to bring you conversations you won't hear anywhere else. Sign up today by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Thank you. For, for me, one of the, the more sort of, I guess, spiritual, I don't know if that's the right word, but I thought about this for, for the longest time in terms of the creation of just traditional film photography and, and, and the Polaroid, this idea that, you know, light reflected off of something and mm-hmm. then went through the lens and made content with, with the negative, and in this case, the, the actual physical print. And when I think about the great moments, the great images that, that were made, it's like, you know, that photograph of Winston Churchill, that, or the moment that Oswald was, was shot uh, on, being taken out of that Dallas police station. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the image that uh, Neil Armstrong made on the moon, light hit that and then hit the surface of the material. There was a direct physical connection between those two things. And when I see the print or I see the negative, it's like there's that interlinking that with digital isn't there. And I know it's a really kind of weird way to think of photography, but for me, that's just like, this is a connection to a time that is, has just totally disappeared. But it's, there's something just physically magical about it that I just love to think about. And I wish that digital sort of retained that. And I know, it, you know in terms of the photograph, it may not make much of a difference to, to much of anyone, but I think that's always been something that I've always sort of loved about sort of traditional photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no question beyond that. I just, I just don't want to share that. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it's 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 uh, right in many ways. And besides, like the experience uh, you have with taking photographs, it's like we have a Polaroid. That light that actually reflected off the subject is in that photograph. Mm-hmm. It's and most likely, uh, that's what Christopher tells me. These aren't like my own original thoughts, but <laughs> he said, you know. So the light reflected and, and, and hit that surface and uh, is captured in that photo. But most likely a Polaroid was held by the one uh, who was being photographed. Yeah. So every Polaroid, because that's what happened. People take a Polaroid of you and you look, you take it, you look at it, because that's uh, what the photo in, invites you to do. So any, any Polaroid you see, most likely the subject uh, has held it in his hands. So it's a real memento, or a, new, a real artifact of time. The scene where Christopher is at the party, yeah. sitting on a couch, and people are just sitting with him and he's making their por- I thought that was such a wonderful scene. Oh, thanks so much. Um, I, I really enjoyed that, because I, I always like f- watching photographers work, but I just really, I was just mes- mesmerized mesmerized by the casualness of it but the sort of intimacy that he was able to have with each person that sat down with him because if he'd had a, a dslr or mirrorless camera or with a camera phone that experience would have been completely different there people were not only willing to be photographed but they were wanting to engage with him and he with them in in a way that I don't think would have existed had he been using any other any other medium to capture a, a photograph, and I'm wondering as you were observing that and filming that, what mm. what experience did you have witnessing that? Well, I was very glad to have captured that because it was so awesome. Well, for for listeners who 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 don't really know what we're talking about, you have to understand Christopher is like a real, um, how would I say, he's like a book nerd, so he's like this, he isn't like a real player or something. He even isn't really, well, he's sociable, but he's not the guy you would expect to um, lure in a lot of women or something like that at a party. So the funny thing is we tested, before we shot that scene, we shot a day with him in, uh, I think it was in Brooklyn. And uh, we asked him, uh, can you take pictures of uh, tourists? 
And uh, he really hated that, being sociable with people he didn't know, especially in front of the camera. Yeah. But it slowly built up his, his confidence. So the next day we shot at a party and he was really reluctant because he doesn't feel, for him it felt awkward to be at a party and invite a film crew. But I, I really trusted it because I saw it the day before. I saw him grew in like, I would say, almost I would say, turned more manly, but it's not, you know, it's my lack of better words in English, but I would say more confidence. confidence. Yes, Mm yes. He gained a mojo, you know, he was like, uh, (laughs) so I was really confident about that. So when I was at the party, I saw a couch and uh, some beers in front and I just planted the camera there and I just knew if he would sit down there with his camera, things would start happening. And it did. It did. In in the beginning, he's like he's a little bit shy and making jo- awkward jokes about his camera. But in the end, he's a smooth talking guy to the women. You see him <laughs> flick photographs if it's nothing. So it's a transformation of like uh, of this uh, t- little bit timid writer going to this full fledged player. To my to, <laughs> to my eyes, it was like that, and I'm maybe I'm not doing him uh, right by saying this, but like maybe I'm uh, over. Uh, uh, how would I say? Uh, in my mind, it's bigger, but he grew, and he grew in in happiness and confidence, and uh, the whole room reacted to him. So for me, it was I was happy for him, but also happy to see that all the theories of Doctor Land about how we connect to each other were true. Yeah. It wasn't in my artist's mind, oh, I'm going to make a movie or this. No, it was true. I saw it. And um, there was magic. And uh, I'm very glad uh, Christopher helped me prove that. Yeah, because in my own experience of making photographs at parties, there's a sort of, sort of distance that's created normally. I mean, you, you, you pose people, you make a photograph, and you're not necessarily connected to them. I, and being, well, I was kind of a shy person it was a way of me sort of keeping my distance yeah and i could take a picture people would pose and they would smile and then i would just sort of move around the room and have a drink or get something to eat but i really didn't have to sort of engage anyone but what i saw there is really indicative of a lot of the experiences that you have when you shoot with an instant camera is that people are really curious to see and that sort of just breaks the ice and you're able to engage in a way. And that really was at the heart of what Edwin Land imagined for it. Because he wanted to do more than just, you know, create an interesting technology that could make a lot of money. He really was trying to be, uh, he was very aware of the role that photography played in, in a social construct. Absolutely. And Absolutely. That, that clip that you have from The Long Walk, where he talks about this idea of a camera that could fit, it would be the size of a wallet that could fit into your pocket, where you could take a picture and it would spit out a print. I don't know if you had been aware about that initially, but that was just a gem in yeah. terms of him sort of being prescient in terms of a digital camera. Yeah, well, you know, he predicted the future years ago. And uh, in that sense, you know, the technical side is pretty interesting as, you know, he made an invention that we still cannot, like, reinvent. So that's interesting. But, you know, he wanted to make an invention to make mankind better and uh, to give us the best aspects of being connected. And all his predictions came true. Did you find that in the making of the film that you yourself had a greater or a different appreciation for what he made? Well, yeah, let me think. That's a good question. Well, no, yeah, I, yeah, I I did have to, because before I made this movie, I didn't know so much about him. I didn't know how influential he was or how a genius this guy was. Because of course he was, the, you know, the, the Steve Job Jobs of, of his day. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I talk about him, uh, you know, not a lot of people know him, which is a shame, to be honest. He's one of the greatest inventors of, uh, you know, the, the last decades or how do you say, last decennium. Yeah, and uh, so what it did for me is was like I, it helped me to view like social media. 
or maybe even the way I, I use my iPhone or in a different way. Because, you know, nowadays we take so much photos. You know, I, I, my daughter just turned, uh, well, she's, she's like almost four. And I have a whole, like, like loads of hard drives full of photos. I never look at those photos. They're on hard drives, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. This is totally crazy. And that's what we're doing right now. Because, you know, you go, let's say you go on a holiday and you shoot like 300 photos nowadays, right? In the old days, you just shot like maybe in half a roll. And, the, and those memories kept, kept you know, uh, you kept and remembered. So we're shooting information right now, not experiences, no memories, at least most people. I don't print any photos uh, nowadays. And so, so investigating Lance and researching him and learning about his vision for mankind really uh, made me appreciate like the memories I had of photographs and made me think about what it is to photograph things. You know, for what reason am I capturing something? Mm. You know, sometimes I think now, you know, with, with so many photos on hard drives, I'm just capturing something for people like, I don't know, to uh, look at when I'm dead or something, because I have no time to search all those photos and, and look, you know, select them all. They're too much, too many. <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said for a print. Because I, I, I discovered a photograph of my mother a couple of weeks ago. She just had it pinned to her board. And it was an image I, had, I, had, I can't remember having seen. And it was her mm -hmm. probably younger than I am now, probably in her 40s. And she's in the kitchen with one of her best friends. And it was just like, what's this? And I grabbed it off the board. <laughs> and, and you won't have that experience with a digital. Because if you don't have access to that computer or that hard drive or that thing, that, that stuff is gone. And I think there's something to be said for you know just being able to find those things. Because I have a Polaroid that I probably shot when I was 13 or 14 that is mm. in my mother's bedroom of my her her sister and my cousin. And I remember using the SX-70, being in our yard, making the photograph, hearing the sound of the mechanism, that image being spit out. And that very yeah. print is right there in my mo mom's bedroom. And that's something that you don't get with, with digital. So I think that as, as much as the film isn't about sort of the history of photography or land, I think it really strikes at the heart of what made that whole process special well that's what that's what i hope uh, that people will take out of it you know it's a shame and and i would say that nowadays you know i have some hope with young people because uh, actually the the, um, the guy who did like the location sound for this uh, film mm -hmm. he has uh, a daughter as well and, her, and his daughter i think she just turned 14 and uh, she asked her dad uh for her birthday two things oh yeah one was like a typewriter like an old-fashioned typewriter. Yeah, writer. very good. I like that. I like her already. And, yeah, and the second thing was like uh, a landline telephone. You know, with 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 uh, the circle dial. Oh my You God. know what I, what I mean? Yeah. And so, why did she want the telephone to have like real conversations with her girlfriends? So, you know, you can say it's crazy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or, but I find I find it very interesting. Um, that we're yearning back for those feelings and young people understand it, you know, yeah. because a lot of people who buy this, this, this instant film nowadays, while it's still expensive, are young people. So they're not willing to buy, uh, you know, music or a CD, which is like 10 bucks, mm -hmm. but they're willing to buy like a pack of film uh, for $20 that holds eight photos. So that's saying a lot, you know, and it's, 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 it's over, you know, have you ever seen those uh, grocery stores, you know, with the vegan meals and stuff, with all those nice handwritten fonts mm -hmm. that make you feel good? So we're all searching for experience, experiences, that, and we're searching for authenticity, because everything yeah. is so, you know, prefab made. You know, even fashion magazines, you know, they make photos and they put in Photoshop this like uh, Polaroid uh, border around it just to make you feel this is real stuff. This has some emotion. So I'm not sure where I was going, but no, the story. But I, love but I, <laughs> I love what you just said, because really that's, that's it. That's about having an authentic experience, something that's real. That's one of the reasons why so many people get into photography. 
is to capture something authentic. Because I see plenty of images that are perfect, perfectly crafted, and I don't feel anything. And then I see a picture that I know that in a photo club would get torn apart that I just love. I don't care that it's slightly out of focus or the exposure's off or the composition is perfect. There's just something about how the person captured it that just moves me, that gets me excited. You know, you know perfection is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know what they said about like the, the, like the porn industry, you know, they wanted to introduce like 4K porn uh-huh. and all the, all the models, you know, all, the, all the like the porn actresses, like protested because <laughs> then they can see me how I really look it would be the death of the porn industry <laughs> so how did the how was the experience of making this film and this whole idea of you know wabi-sabi the, that was explored in it sort of colored the way that you are looking at your films that you're making subsequently to be honest not that different because um, when I started making films I used to my first films out of um, film school uh, and this was already in the time that digital was like uh, in. But uh, my first films I did on film, you know, on celluloid, like 60 millimeter film. I make films from, from the love of cinema itself. And for me, film always had this like mysterious quality. It's very hard to define because it isn't better or sharper, but it has this, yeah. I don't know, this something. Uh, so that that aspect, I'm I'm always like searching for in in the way I make movies. It doesn't have to be like the the, the images have to be imperfect, but I'm searching for that you know that sen- that sense of magic and, and, and mystery. And that could be you know filming something that's you know beneath the surface. That's very hard to like put your finger on and say oh, it's this or this. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, just like this movie, you know. Or it could be like in 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 the composition of things. I sometimes like to like I would say you know mess with people's minds sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, I would say it it influenced me or is still influencing me in that way. And I, I really like a good mystery. So that's great. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer or in your case, it could be another filmmaker that you, you want to have our listeners explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one person be and why? Oh, I should really have prepared for this question. <laughs> <laughs> can I just say what, what my like my top three favorite movies are? Sure. Yeah, that'd be that's okay. fine. That um, well, it's not actually top top three of my favorite movies, but I think movies everybody uh, should see at least would be at least they're the films that inspired me, even uh, as a photographer because I studied photography. That would be uh, the movie uh, Le Mépris from uh, Jean Luc Godard. Okay. This is like his most beautiful shot film. Which stars uh, Brigitte Bardot. The second movie would be, I think, The Holy Mountain by Alejandro Jodorowsky. This is like a real midnight movie. One of the guys of the Beatles produced it, I think, because the images are very like esoteric and um, story sometimes incomprehensible, but still beautiful. And I think a third would be uh, Tarkovsky's uh, Stalker. So that that are my my favorite movies, yeah. Well, I like those recommendations. Yeah, that, you know, those are movies that that partly exist or, or ask the viewer to put in something of themselves. You know, to dream to dream with the images, to dream with the filmmaker, make your own movie. I like that kind of images. If it's a photographer or uh, a movie maker or maybe even a painting or a novel. I just read, I will, I'm not kidding. I'm just like reading a lot of uh, Charles uh, Bukowski. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same with, with him, his writing. It's not so much what's on the page. It's what's, you know, it's what's not on the page. Very true. Well, that's, thank you so much for your, for your time. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so far. Yeah, so much for having me. Thanks to Willem for sharing his time and story with us. You can find out more about him and his work by visiting willembaptiste.nl. The film is currently being screened at film festivals, 
Find out more about screening dates by visiting the Instant Dream presence on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash instantdreams.movie. To hear and see me talk about my personal photographic process, visit the TCF YouTube channel, where I offer comments of photography submitted by TCF listeners who contribute to the Candid Frame Flickr poll. Check out the TCF Flickr poll and our YouTube channel by clicking on the link in the show notes and the website. My recent book, Making Photographs, Developing a Personal Visual Workflow, is now available. Purchase it today and receive 40% off the list price when you order it from the Rocky Nook website. Use the promo code Pirello40 at checkout to take advantage of the discount. And receive three free copies of my previously published ebooks by signing up for the Candle Frame mailing list, where I share thoughts about life, photography, and keep you updated on TCF events. If you enjoy the show, help to spread the word by writing a review wherever you find and listen to podcasts. And if you write a review on a blog post, let me know and send me a link because I would really love to thank you on air. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon, or you can make a one-time contribution via PayPal. You'll find the links for both in the show notes and the website. Thanks to Jane Duckett and Nate Danforth for their recent contributions. I can't thank you enough. And if you want to easily access every episode of The Candid Frame, download the Candid Frame app. It's available for both Apple iOS and Android, and it's free. And if you scroll down on the app, you'll find a free excerpt of my book there to download. And we also have an Alexa app, so if you have one of those smart devices, download the skill and listen to the show that way. We're everywhere. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the other martintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ebody and X, and this is The Candid Frame.